This is the In Focus podcast from the Hindu. Hello and welcome to the Hindu's In Focus podcast with me Amit Barua your host for this episode. Hours after Prime Minister Narendra Modi emphasized the importance of Nari Shakti in his Independence Day speech. 11 convicts responsible for the gang rape of Bilkis Bano and the murder of several others in the anti-Muslim pogrom of February 2002 were released from jail prematurely. This followed an executive order from the Gujarat government based on a committee's recommendations that also comprised two sitting BJP legislators from the state. The premature release of these prisoners responsible for heinous crimes has taken place behind closed doors. It has led to some public outrage and the matter may well go before the Supreme Court for its opinion on whether the state government operated in a judicious manner. To discuss these issues surrounding the release, I am joined by senior advocate Rebecca John. Welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast Rebecca. Thank you Amit. Rebecca my first question, please tell us can there be premature release without remorse? Well, these are the things that the release advisory board takes into consideration. Amit, I would like to place on record the fact that the statute permits premature release. So, the fact that somebody has been released prematurely is in consonance with the law. But what needs to be considered at the time of this release are these factors: the behavior of the convict in jail. whether the convict's release will impact the complainant in any way uh, should the com- complainant be alive whether there has been any sign of remorse whether the convict's conduct in jail has been one where it can be said that there has been some form of reform that the convict has undertaken etc so these are and of course the heinous nature of the original crime these are the factors which the jail advisory committee takes into consideration before recommending the release of somebody under the criminal procedure court rebecca i mean uh, we've seen that uh, you know the courts have been quite tough i mean if you see in the nirbhaya case a death sentence was handed down these crimes that happened uh, in gujarat in 2002 are also in the heinous category it's quite possible that a court could have handed down a different sentence in this This is something which most people do not know but the fact of the matter is that when Bilkis was contesting the matter both in the sessions court in Mumbai as well as the Bombay High Court uh, and she was represented through counsel she had given it in writing that she was not seeking the death penalty uh, for any of the uh, perpetrators who were responsible for the crime so bilkis herself had made a statement that she was not interested or she was not uh, keen that the death penalty be handed o- handed out to any of these convicts uh, but yes you're absolutely right the supreme court in similar cases cases of uh, similar magnitude has has handed out very very stern sentences uh death sentence of course is given in the rarest of rare cases uh but even when it comes to life sentences the supreme court has over the past few years in gruesome crimes of rape and murder uh handed out sentences exceeding 30 years without remission sometimes even without parole 
Rebecca, you had mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, premature release is uh, very legal. It's very much, uh, you know, part of the judicial or executive process. So in this particular case, what do you feel? Has justice been done or has the state taken a humane view of the uh, 11 convicts, which is why they've been released uh, in a premature fashion? So there are two aspects to this. Has justice been done? What has happened to Bilkis? or women like her, uh, I'm not sure whether any kind of sentence will compensate for her pain. Justice and legality are sometimes two very different things. What is legal may not be just, and what is just sometimes is not legal. But the fact of the matter is, we are governed by a set of rules and laws, and the law permits premature release, that is within the realm of an executive function. The judiciary completes its journey when the trial is concluded, the first statutory appeal is heard by the High Court, and then the Supreme Court either confirms or sets aside the conviction order or sentence. Once that process is over, and whatever is the final verdict of conviction and sentence, that is what remains on the judicial record. But sections 433 and 433A of the CRPC enables the executive to grant remissions and to commute the sentence of a prisoner who has been convicted and whose conviction has been upheld and has attained finality under certain conditions. The sentence of death, if granted, can be commuted to life imprisonment. The sentence of life imprisonment can be further shortened so long as the prisoner has completed a minimum of 14 years in prison. Notwithstanding this, the law also requires that at the time of commutation, the jail advisory committee takes a report from the convicting judge uh, and the judge who has sentenced the convict uh, so as to get a judicial opinion as to whether the convict should be released uh, prematurely or not. This is a mandate of the law. The other thing which the law requires is that the state where the trial took place and the conviction order was passed and the sentencing order was passed, it is that state which will decide whether or not the beneficial provisions of Section 433 and 433A will kick in or not. So these are some of the requirements. Of course, over a period of time, the Supreme Court has set out guidelines. Individual states also have guidelines with respect to how remission should be granted and what are the circumstances under which remission and commutation takes place. In my view, given the gravity of this uh, of this crime, given the fact that there were multiple murders, at least two gang rapes, and where two very young children were very brutally murdered. The action of the advisory committee to commute the sentence of all 11 prisoners to the period that they had already undergone, which clearly was about 14 years. I I don't think it was proper. I think the gravity of the crime should have at least the advisory committee should have at least come to the conclusion that the prisoners needed to serve more time. And that is in consonance with the general sentencing policy in the country. Is it usual for, uh, you know, members of the ruling party or uh, sitting legislators to be part of such advisory committees as we've seen uh, happen in Gujarat? So there is no bar. 
There is no bar. But is it proper? I would say it isn't proper. Who constitutes the central advisory, uh, the, the jail advisory committee? This is all discretionary and it changes from state to state. Every, every state has its own set of rules and regulations. But when you have members of the ruling dispensation commuting the sentence in this manner, uh, disregarding the report of the sentencing judge, uh, then they are open to the charge that they were uh, that their action was biased and uh, there were, they were in a tearing hurry to release these convicts. Uh, we also saw that, uh, you know, the, the Gujarat government, uh, you know, speak of the fact that uh, there was a two-judge bench of the Supreme Court uh, that had ordered the, the, the government to address this issue of premature release in a period of two months, and which is why this uh, process took place. So in your view, was it appropriate for the Supreme Court to ask the Gujarat government to decide this, especially when the trial had taken place in the state of Maharashtra? I've said this before, and I, I would like to repeat it again, that I believe that the, that the order passed by the uh, Supreme Court in May 2022 was per incurium in the sense that it was not in consonance with the law laid down by the Constitution bench judgment of the Supreme Court in an earlier case titled Union of India versus uh, Sri Haran and others. Uh, where the Supreme Court had clearly mentioned that where the trial has taken place outside a state where the crime was committed, it is only the advisory board of that state, the second state where the trial was uh, had taken place and where the sentencing and conviction order was passed. The powers under 433 and 433A could be exercised only by that state government. Uh, so I think in that sense, the Supreme Court erred. Uh, the fact that the judgment of uh, the Union of India versus Sriharan was brought to the notice of the Supreme Court is in the order of May 2022 itself. And the Supreme Court discounted the order of the Constitution Bench judgment of uh, the earlier Constitution Bench judgment by stating that it was in extraordinary circumstances that the trial was transferred to the state of Maharashtra. But other Otherwise, as the convicts were lodged in a jail in Gujarat, uh, it would be appropriate for the advi jail advisory committee of Gujarat to take care of the issue. I think uh, perhaps the Supreme Court failed to consider that the trial was transferred to Maharashtra under extremely uh, telling circumstances, and that itself was indicative of bias because the Supreme Court in 2004 felt that if the trial continued to remain in Gujarat, then justice would not be done. And it was in those extraordinary circumstances that the trial was transferred. So in that sense, it's a bit contradictory. Once it was transferred because they felt the trial was not proceeding in the manner in which it should proceed, uh, and then you make use of the fact that uh, the prisoners are lodged in Gujarat and the trial was transferred in extraordinary circumstances to suggest that only the uh, jail advisory committee of Gujarat could rule on the issue, I believe is a bit of a contradiction. I, I therefore believe that... Uh, this may be reviewed by the Supreme Court. As you are aware, several petitions have been filed in the Supreme Court challenging this extraordinary release uh, because generally it seems to have uh, shaken the minds of a, a lot of like-minded people and people feel for what has happened to Wilkies. Uh, also the fact that uh, the law was not followed in this case. So perhaps... Uh, 
the order of May 2022 may be corrected. We don't know. Uh, it would be wrong on my part to predict the future course of action. But petitions challenging the release have now been filed. In 2019, Rebecca, the same Supreme Court awarded compensation of 50 lakhs and, you know, spoke quite evocatively about her predicament. So what do you think has changed in these three years to, for the Supreme Court to take such a clinical view of things as they did in the case of this uh, order by the two-judge bench? Amit, I think uh, the circumstances were different. In, in 2019, of course, they were, trying, they were considering the rehabilitation of a victim. And the Supreme Court was very clear that uh, the victim had to be rehabilitated in, in whatever manner possible. A monetary po- compensation was given. I think she was allotted some, uh, some land she was, uh, and many other benefits were given to her. The circumstances of that order, of course, uh, cannot be compared with what happened in 2020 where the accused moved the Supreme Court and asked for you know, the, a direction from the Supreme Court in the form of a writ of mandamus uh, directing the state of Gujarat to consider their representation for uh, extraordinary release. I think you have a, a situation where the courts have, in fact, stood for Bilkis in, in one sense, the judgment of the trial court in Bombay, uh, the High Court of, uh, of Bombay, all of which confirming the conviction and sentence and imprisoning, uh, sending these men to life of imprisonment, was a vindication of what Bilkis was, uh, was speaking of. Thereafter, the order of the Supreme Court granting her compensation was again a way uh, to show her that uh, the system cared for her. Unfortunately, uh, in the judgment of May 2022, perhaps these facts were not brought to the notice of the Supreme Court. I'm I'm not sure how it was argued. Uh, Bilkis certainly was not made a party in those proceedings. Uh, But I I do believe that notwithstanding the fact that the judgment of the Constitution bench of the Supreme Court was brought to the notice of the uh, top court and the fact that the Gujarat High Court had dismissed the plea of the convict based on that Constitution bench judgment of the Supreme Court, I think the Supreme Court ought to have considered that and been more circumspect while passing the order. Rebecca, we have reports, uh, you know, from Gujarat, uh, the Times of India newspaper reporting that, uh, you know, the village where Bilkis Bano was living, many Muslims have left the area on account of fear. So do do you feel that a a context also needs to be taken in mind when an advisory committee makes recommendations for premature release? Certainly. And I believe the time has come when you should take the, you should also ask or consult the complainant victim before any order is passed. Um, the law in this country is quite evolved. Uh, when an FIR ends in a closure report, uh, the Supreme Court, through judge-made law, has stated that notice of that closure report must be sent to the complainant first informant so that the complainant first informant can contest the closure report. And based on that contestation, a court can disregard the closure report and proceed to summon accused persons. I don't uh, see why then uh, a jail advisory committee, which is set up by the executive, uh, should not mandata- mandatorily in- insist upon the presence or views of the complainant victim before they come to any decision. 
However, I noticed that most jail advisory committees across the uh, country do not involve the victim in this, in this process, but I think they should. Uh, so perhaps this is, again, an issue which should be challenged and certain guidelines should be laid down by the Supreme Court so that henceforth errors of this kind, which result in very grave implications, uh, should not uh, be repeated. There is a very real threat to Bilkis Banu and her family. Uh, as you have said, uh, the Times of India has reported that members of the community are slowly moving away from the village because they, free, they fear some kind of reprisal. I think these are considerations which must be taken into account, both by the executive as well as by the judiciary, certainly by the judiciary, uh, because... At the end of the day, you're protecting life and liberty. And if life and liberty cannot be protected, uh, then what is the point of all of this? Rebecca, you, there's quite a lot of confusion about what life imprisonment means in this country. You know, many of our listeners could also be confused as to, you know, whether it's 14 years, whether it's life, or is the sentence uh, to run till the court says uh, or sets a specific period. Could you enlighten us a little about what life imprisonment or a sentence of life imprisonment means in India? Yes. Uh, so as far as the law is concerned and as far as the judicial part of the proceedings are concerned, life imprisonment means life. There is no ambiguity. There is enough law on the subject uh, which, which clarifies that life imprisonment means life. However, the same CRPC gives powers both to the judiciary as well as to the executive to commute sentences. So in given cases, uh, when a sentence of life imprisonment has been passed by the judiciary, after the sentence has been passed and after the convict has undergone a minimum of 14 years, his case can come up for extraordinary release and his sentence can be commuted, not by the judiciary, but by the executive. A death sentence, for example, if it is handed out to a prisoner, even after all remedies in the apex court is over, the president or the governor has the right to pardon. These are in the nature of executive powers, which are constitutionally protected. So the Code of Criminal Procedure allows the executive, once the judiciary is handed out the life sentence, to commute the sentence, and that power can be exercised only by the executive, to commute the sentence in the manner that I have discussed earlier on your, on your program. So while it is judicially interpreted, life means life, in, in actuality, uh, once a prisoner undergoes 14 years, uh, the executive can consider, now this is a discretionary power, can consider the representation by the convict to have his sentence commuted for to a shorter period. He has to undergo a minimum of 14 years, but uh, he need not undergo the full life sentence. His sentence can be commuted. My difficulty with this process is that there is no consistency. So some prisoners are allowed to step out after 15 years. Some prisoners continue to languish for 30 years and more. 
Others continue to languish for a period beyond 30 years with the Supreme Court directions that the jail advisory committee will not take up their case for extraordinary release. I think the time has come when we clear the law on this because you can't have a situation where some are made to feel more important than the other. When the judiciary looks at sentencing and when it, for example, commutes death penalty into life imprisonment, in order after order, I have seen them stating, uh, seen them writing that the convict will stay in prison for a minimum period of 30 years or that it will that the convict will remain in prison for 30 years without the benefit of remission. If this is what the judiciary is saying, I think the executive should not be given the power to commute the sentence after 14 years, or if they are commuting the sentence for one set of people, they should do it for everyone. So there has to be a consistency in the manner in which the, the sentencing law is applied in India. Unfortunately, we do not have a uniform sentencing policy Unlike Britain, we do not have a, a sentencing commission which oversees all these cases and insists on a, a consistent way of handing out sentences. None of this is uh, available. Many of us have spoken for years asking for, these, uh, for this to be set up. Uh, in the end, it is the hunch of the bench, or in this case, the hunch of the sentencing board. Uh, and uh, if it, it gives rise to the charge, that some people uh, are more important to the state than others. Rebecca John, thank you for your views and thank you for talking to the Hindus in Focus podcast. Thank you very much, Amit. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.